on that passage from Isaiah that I just uh, read. And you can actually follow along. Uh, there's a little white insert uh, inside your service sheets where Isaiah 9, uh, 2 to 7 is printed out for you. My, my question for you this Christmas, though, is have you ever stopped to consider the slightly peculiar phrasing of a carol that we're going to sing later in the service, Joy to the World? It's a Christmas classic. We're going to sing it tonight. But often we look at life a bit more like, what joy can I get from the world? Don't we? Christmas can be an incredibly joyful occasion, but it often becomes us looking, where can we get joy from the Christmas season? And that's what makes it particularly painful when it's not a season that we associate with joy for whatever reason. I'm here to tell you today that Christmas is not about us getting joy from the world or even joy from the Christmas season, but that joy has come to the world. The story of joy coming to the world actually starts a whole lot earlier than the birth of Jesus that we remember at Christmas. This passage from the prophet Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, and it's a prediction of joy coming to the world. And he begins with an announcement. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. It's a prediction of rescue. And it's a reassurance that no matter how dark life gets, For God's people, and in the context here that it was written to originally, it was going to get very dark for God's people. They were going to be invaded by the ancient Assyrian Empire. They would conquer them and maraud over their land. But the prediction is that in that context, a light would shine. For us today, we could feel like we've been walking in darkness our whole lives. We could feel like this Christmas is a terribly dark one. Over the past years, there's been a lot of darkness in our world. This is a message of light for you. God's promise, his prediction of Christmas is that light would come. But there are some of us who we look at our lives and we say, well, it seems absolutely fine. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm walking in darkness. I feel like I'm walking along absolutely on about, on, on, absolutely fine. No need for light. There might be some bad news for you then this Christmas, because you can be walking in darkness and not even realize it. What what darkness would I be talking about if I was to make such a bold claim? It would be walking in the darkness of what the Bible calls sin. It's sort of like a fish doesn't realize it's in water. We can walk against God and his ways and not even realize it sometimes. We think we're good, or at least we think we're better than the next guy, or at least better than that guy from accounts at work. But grant this, if there is a possibility that there is a God of all the universe who created and sustains all things, is it possible that he just so happens to agree and approve of all that we say and do? It's a thin chance, isn't it? It's far more likely that he has a a different plan for us and a different standard to which we ought to live. And he's revealed in his word, in fact, 
the, the, the matter of it is, is that we are rebels, choosing darkness, choosing sin. And so we lie. We get greedy. We decide to live for ourselves in our own way. And the Bible says that's darkness. Now, that's pretty confronting stuff. I appreciate it's a bit of a dampener on the cozy Christmas vibes. But to hear the bad news makes sense of just how good the good news is. Sort of like how Christmas lights are always best at night. We need to see the darkness before we can see just how good and wonderful the light is. And so Isaiah announces that light is coming to those in darkness. What is that light? Well, it's a great joy. You've multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy of the harvest, as they're glad when they divide the spoil. The you in verse 3 of this passage is God. He is spreading the light, increasing the joy. This is long ago. He's predicting that he would multiply a, a remnant of exiles from the invaded people of God into a great number. Their joy would be abundant. He compares it to a worker's uh, bonus at harvest. It's, it's the big Christmas bonus season. It's abundant joy. Loads of it. Loads of it. That's available to us today. This is the joy that we celebrate at Christmas time. It's joy to us. Abundant, better than anything the world has to offer. Greater in magnitude and magnificence. Lasting longer than we could imagine. Joy to us. Contrast that a little while ago when... Um, Marie Kondo was having a bit of a moment of serious popularity. I don't know if you caught her, her Netflix show. She was a sort of organizational and uh, lifestyle guru. Uh, one of her approaches to sorting out uh, your house and even your life was, if it's not sparking joy in you, cut it off. Get rid of it. And it has a certain attraction to it. I can see uh, employing it in your spring cleaning routine is going to work. But apply it widely to life, and it really is the epitome of, let me see what joy I can get from this world. And so, if our job gets pretty tough and challenging, stressful situations at work, or our relationship isn't quite working, well, cut them off. They're not bringing you joy anymore. This is the sad reality of this world, that where we look to get joy from it, we end up rinsing the joy out of it. And our relationships, our career, they cannot stand the weight of our expectant joy. We need joy to enter our world. Let's see what this joy is, or rather who this joy is. Verse 4, from the, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The light in darkness that brings joy is a person. The unexpected savior is here, Isaiah is announcing. There are three uh, fours in this passage. This is the first one in verse four. Four, the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you've broken as in the day of Midian. What does this even mean? A yoke was a big sort of piece of farming equipment that would hold two ox together and keep them in a straight line. It's picturing a big, heavy, brutal oppression, a yoke, a burden. 
an oppressor with a rod whipping behind. The light in the darkness, the joy to the world will bring freedom. The day of Midian is picturing an Old Testament reference to a freedom fighter called Gideon. Uh, He freed his people from the power of oppressors. He was an unlikely hero. God had reduced his army to a tiny side and yet threw the enemy army into a panic and disarray and they destroyed themselves. And Isaiah here is picturing an even better savior than Gideon. That's the Midian reference. A freedom fighter from an even greater oppression. Well, elsewhere in the Bible, it depicts our looking to joy anywhere apart from God as a form of slavery, of captivity, a sort of helplessness in the face of temptation. All our wrongdoing is such a conscious choice, but one that even when we try really hard not to do anything wrong, we still end up doing wrong. The promise of Christmas is joy to the world, light in our darkness, and it's a prediction of a greater of a prediction of a greater Gideon bringing a fuller freedom. Our next four is for every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's a picture of the liberator defeating evil, putting an end to conflict itself. And the fact that this says will be burned gives it that sense that the victory is certain and not our accomplishment. So who is this powerful savior? Who is this freedom fighter who will free his people from slavery to sin and death? Who will be the light in the darkness? Look at that small number six, the text next to it. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The power of God is so great that his answer to the ancient Assyrian empire and to the problem of sin and death is a child. He doesn't come as an even bigger bully, a bigger army, but as a baby. His answer to sin and death, a child, a son. It's seemingly unexpected, seemingly unimpressive. I'll stick my hand up and say that I'm not good at wrapping presents. I lack the the fine motor skills, the coordination, the spatial awareness. It, It takes me forever, and I do a terrible job. It's a stressful thing, and it takes a very, very long time. Growing up, there was never any guesses as to uh, which presents were wrapped by me. It was obvious because they were poorly wrapped, unimpressive, nothing special. If I did try anything special, you know, put the ribbon on, the knot would be very wonky. There was nothing impressive about them. If you've ever stopped to think about the Christmas story, you might wonder, why did God come in the flesh? Why was this child born? Why, of all the impressive things that God could have done to make himself known, why does joy come to the world wrapped in the swaddling cloths of normality, seemingly unimpressive flesh? Jesus Christ, this baby born of a virgin, laid in an animal feeding trough, visited by shepherds, worshipped by wise men. Why was he born? His humanity was integral to his saving work. 
His humanity was integral to his joy coming to the world. He was truly human, the only human to live in perfect obedience to God, not a slave to sin and darkness, but perfect freedom and light. And through our our common humanity, he's our, our representative and substitute, if you like. Through his life and death and resurrection, he gives salvation to all who follow him by faith. In simple terms, in order to save us, he had to be like us. And why must this savior be a son? Why do we call him son? Well, he is God himself. No one human could actually live in perfect freedom from the darkness of sin. No one human could be a perfect substitute in our place. He had to be God and had to take on flesh. You can sometimes learn quite a lot about yourself from the presence that you're being given. If your loved ones are getting you a diary, an alarm clock, a wall planner, they might be trying to tell you something. Maybe even more direct if it's soap, a toothbrush, and some deodorant. This gift of Jesus, this joy to the world, if we look at him, We learn about ourselves too. He is light in the darkness. He is joy to the world. He is the ultimate freedom fighter, the child, the son. And if we carry on in our passage, the government shall be upon his shoulder. He'll be a ruler of a new kingdom. And it highlights just how different Jesus is to the rulers and the nations and those who oppress who place burdens on others, who wield rods of oppression and suffering. Jesus instead reigns perfectly. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He's the ruler who gives supernatural counsel. The decisions of a king or ruler, they can make or break a kingdom. So the everlasting kingdom of God has to have a ruler whose wisdom is sufficient. And that's Jesus. They'll call him Mighty God. He's not merely a teacher. He is himself Mighty God. If he were not, he'd not be worthy of worship. And how wonderful that he is not one of the false gods of our age, but the Mighty God. We have all sorts of weak gods in our world that enslave us all too easily, don't we? The God of money, and we are a slave to our bank balance, the God of success, and we are a slave to our work, the God of status, and we're a slave to those whose opinions matter most to us. But the mighty God is strong to set us free, the supplier of joy to the world. And they'll call him Everlasting Father. The sense of this name is almost he's the father of eternity, meaning that eternity is one of his attributes, his characteristics, as well as his rule, having the qualities of a good father. So Jesus himself, eternal, and following him should be sort of like following the very best of dads. There's discipline, but also love, affection, and protection. The prince of peace is his next name. The heroes of this prophecy could have been forgiven for thinking this child would maybe grow into some sort of comic book hero type and would release them from captivity and exile because mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, is almost too wonderful. But that's the great irony. 
that this Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is not the saviour that his people were expecting. He didn't release his people from oppressive armies, but from the oppression of sin. He did it not by winning a physical battle, but by dying in our place and paying our debt of sin. And so when we come to Jesus, we find perfect peace. Peace between us and God because of the forgiveness of sins. Peace between one another because how can we possibly hold a grudge when our own sin has been forgiven? Peace in ourselves too because God's own spirit now lives in us, bringing us peace. And then verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time and forevermore. It's a prediction that history is going his way. This child, this son, is the king of kings, and he rules over a kingdom. His justice and righteousness completely perfect because he is himself God. He is Jesus Christ, the crucified saviour. And he'll come back not simply to put one or two things right with a gentle nudge, but make all things new. The increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. His grace, his peace, his loving rule will go on forever. We live by faith in him now. We get to enjoy him forever. One of Jesus' early followers wrote that, We living in the kingdom of darkness could be delivered out of it and into the kingdom of the Son by having faith in his name. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's not us doing it, but God. It is not even for our sake, but for the wondrous sake of his own name. That's who Jesus is. That's what his kingdom will be like. All this to say, Jesus Christ is joy to the world, an unexpected gift of a saviour predicted long before he was born. Now, what do we do with this wonderful truth this Christmas time? It's tempting on one level to reject it because it's almost too good to be true, too wonderful, too beautiful, too amazing. But this Christmas, don't hold wonder and truth at odds with each other. They're not mutually exclusive. You know, a friend of mine is a vicar who has uh, landed himself in national papers this week because he told uh, an assembly of uh, some 212-year-olds from the local school at a a school carol service that certain parts of Christmas celebrations aren't actually true and some figures aren't real. Now, his reason for doing this was that they're old enough to know the truth. Uh, The parents' objections was that he'd ruined the wonder of Christmas. Now, whatever you think of that, maybe just consider that Jesus is actually both true and wonderful this Christmas time. He is perfect joy to the world. What would accepting this wonderful truth mean for you? Well, first of all, in light of who Jesus is, we have to reassess who we are. If he is light in the darkness, joy to the world, the Son of God, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace then we're those who walk in darkness, are trying to get every drop of joy out of this world. And in doing so, we submit to the rule of any number of false gods that this world provides. And when we see that clearly, we see 
that the only way to accept the wondrous truth of Jesus is to say sorry to God and ask for forgiveness for going our own way. And God will do that because of Jesus' perfect death and supply us with his Holy Spirit that we might find all of our joy in him, living for his glory. We'd love to invite you to find out uh, more about how to do this. Um, In the new year, we're running a course called Hope Explored. We'd love you to to sign up for it. It's just three weeks of exploring uh, who Jesus is, what he claims to do, and the difference that hope makes. Well, the carol, Joy to the World, will sing shortly. Ponder those words as you sing them and ask yourself the question, where does your joy come from? We're going to pause for a moment, reflect on what we've heard, and then we'll continue in prayer.